he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage today, we continue to ask that you would build among us joyful marriages, marriages that reflect your character as a God who is three in one, marriages that reflect uh, the, the sacrificial purifying love of, of our Savior towards us, that our children might grow up in, in homes where, uh, where they see their father cherishing, nourishing, treasuring, sanctifying his wife, where we see wives who thrive and flourish under such love. And may it be a picture of the gospel to our families, that they would see the love of a Savior for us in our marriages. Lord, we pray for the Napsiggers this morning as they are, uh, I believe, in Germany now and um, have much to, uh, to share with us in terms of both praises and requests. And so, Lord, uh, we thank you that the opportunity has... Uh, presented itself that you have provided for them to, uh, or at least for, for their ministry to be able to purchase the hospitality house that they're using and that um, repairs are continuing and they're close to reopening that house. And, and Lord, we pray that you would um, just use that home there and the ministry that they have to, uh, to call young military men and women to yourself, Lord, that they would be able to uh, to, to care for them and, and call people and, and share the gospel with people and that people would respond, Lord. Lord, we pray for Paula, who is a believer there and I believe uh, came to know you through the ministry that they have there, have there previously, but whose husband does not yet know you, Lord. We pray for Steve, that he would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and of all that he has done for us, Lord, that you would turn his affections towards you. And Lord, we... Um, we thank you for them and, and pray with you, uh, or pray with them to you for the fact that they uh, are now being called to stay there in Germany for a year, and it sounds like they're excited about that opportunity. And so, uh, God, we just ask that you would give them faithfulness in their ministry and that you would, um, you would provide fruitfulness and that people would come to know you and that you would change lives through that ministry. Lord, may the word sound forth from us. As Paul already prayed, I would echo that we would not just hope people stumble upon the gospel, but that we would actively seek to proclaim the gospel, that your word would sound forth from us in our lives and in our homes and in our neighborhoods with block party kits and growth groups and from this pulpit and everything that we do, Lord. May the gospel be clear and ring forth from us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Last week we began looking at this passage in, in Ephesians and uh, we, we sought to understand the husband's role in the marriage. We saw uh, many weeks ago that the, the duty of the wife is to submit herself to her husband. And we had to unpack this idea of submission and what submission does and does not mean. Uh, and, and I said last week that, it, that we would think that the opposite of the word submission would be something like control or dominate or lead. And yet that is not the picture that Paul presents to us. The picture that we're presented with, both here in Ephesians, which is a much lengthier passage than what we're looking at in Colossians, is the picture of a husband's love for his wife and that she is to submit to his loving leadership. He is to love his wife in life and death. This does not give him permission to be a, as James Boyce put it, petty tyrant around the house, but it is to make him an influence in her life for godliness, for holiness, and for care. We ended last week by asking the question, how, how can a husband live up to this incredibly high standard of love for his wife in the same manner and patterned after Christ's love for the church. And I suggested last week that as husbands, we drink deeply from the well of God's word to see what Christ has done for us. We, we know Christ. We see all that he has done for us. We understand how wretched we are as sinners and how great his saving love is for us. And we allow it to influence how we lead our families and our children and our wives. But I think there's a second answer that comes out of Ephesians as well, one that we did not see last week or at all so far because we have not um, been studying verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. But really these instructions that we see for wives and husbands and children and employers and employees flows right out of what we're told in verse 18, and that is of chapter 5, and that is to be filled with the Spirit. In, in order for a husband to live up to this incredibly high standard of love and care and kindness and nourishing and cherishing for his wife, he must be filled with the Spirit. And I'm not going to be able to unpack the whole of Ephesians 3 to you today, but the bottom line of being filled with the Spirit involves two things. Number one, it involves taking in God's Word. As we take in God's word, as we understand who he is, what he demands of us, what he's done for us, as we delight ourselves in him, we, we drink deeply of God's word, and then we respond in obedience. According to Paul's language in Ephesians, this makes uh, a comfortable home for us. When, when Paul says here in Ephesians to let the spirit dwell in you richly, uh, the, the word is a, a deep, long, and we've seen it in Colossians as well. It's this deep, abiding home. The Spirit dwells in us. And I wrote a blog post this week on what that means. You should read it, and, and I won't explain it today. But sin makes, our, uh, makes us, as homes for the Spirit, an uncomfortable dwelling. He does not uh, care to dwell there. I, I was talking with somebody this week about uh, something my youth pastor used to say all the time that just has really influenced my life. He used to say, whatever it is you're doing, whatever it is you're watching, 
if, if Jesus lives in you, you're subjecting him to that. Would you watch that movie if Jesus were sitting right next to you, you would ask? Oh, that, that really stuck with me. Because everywhere I go and everything I do, I, I take Christ with me. The Spirit dwells in me. And we should strive, uh, knowing all that he's done for us, to be a comfortable dwelling place for the Spirit. And, and it is the Spirit who empowers us to live these incredible commands out to love our wives as Christ loved the church. But having seen the command uh, of, uh, to love our wives, and having seen the pattern for how Christ has loved the church, I want to look today at the virtues, five virtues of a husband's love for his wife. If we saw last week the command and the necessity that a husband love his wife and the pattern of Christ that is set out for us, today we're going to see what that love looks like. How is it characterized? With what type of love are we to love our wives? And as we consider this today, I want us to, to keep two things in mind. First, and this is obvious, this, these, this passage that we look at today, it is, it is a command on us to love our wives in a certain way. This is, the, this is the picture of love. This is how a husband ought to love his wife. Ought. Because if you're like me, husbands, you probably often fail. Last week after first service, I, just, um, I was just reminded of how utterly short I fall on so many of these things. But my job is to herald the word of God. And so even as I fall short of these, uh, my job is to communicate God's standard. And so this is how a husband ought to love his wife, even though oftentimes we fail short. However, it is how Christ loves the church. Not how Christ ought to love the church. How he does love the church. How he has loved the church. And how he will never fail to love the church. And so the first, uh, the first virtue of a husband's love for his wife and of Christ's love for the church is that it is to be sacrificing. It is to be sacrificing. Uh, Jesus remains the example to us in all of these things. He, he knew absolutely what his love would require of him. He willingly shed all of the divine prerogatives. He didn't cease to have any of the attributes of deity. He was God in the flesh. He didn't lose the characteristics and qualities of God. He simply, in his sovereignty, subjected himself to human experience. But he didn't merely subject himself to human experience. He subjected him to the human experience after the fall. Jesus didn't experience uh, the world like Adam and Eve before they sinned. He experienced the world as one who had sinned, though he had never sinned. He subjected himself to our experiences. Hebrews reminds us that he, he subjected himself to temptation, yet never sinned. He experienced life just like us. And then, having never broken God's law and deserving no punishment, he subjected himself to death, even death on a cross. Human love, oftentimes when we say we love people or we love something, really what we do is we just show how, how fickle 
and object-oriented our love is. See, we say we love something when there is something in that person that we like. I think I shared a story a while ago of walking through the store with Bradley and him saying, oh, Dad, I love Oreos. Do you love Oreos? We don't really mean love when we say that. It means there's something about those Oreos that please him. But love is not saying that an object is pleasing to us. To say we love something, as we saw last week, is to seek something's good. I asked Bradley, do you really love Oreos? He said, well, what do you mean, Dad? I said, do you pursue their good? He's like, well, no, but I really, really like Oreos. It wasn't probably a couple weeks later that I said I loved something, and he said, do you really, Dad? (laughs) And I said, no, Bradley, you're right, but I really, really like them. He got me with my own trick. But Jesus loves us not because of what's in us. He loves us because of what's in him. He loves us not because we are so lovely and because there is great reason to delight in us. He loved us, as Romans says, while we were yet sinners, while there was nothing lovely about us, while there was nothing lovable about us. He loves us not because of who we are. He loves us because of who he is. And he loves us to the point where he was willing to sacrifice himself, eternally existing with all the prerogatives of deity, subjecting himself to humanity. And as if that's not a low enough step to now, for the first time in eternity, experience what it means to be tired or hungry or finite or in pain. But he subjects himself to the point of death, all willingly sacrificing himself because he had set his affection on us in order to make us lovely. Listen to what John MacArthur says about this, and the words are up here for you. A husband is not commanded to love his wife because of what she is or is not. He is commanded to love her because it is God's will for him to love her. It is certainly intended for a husband to admire and be attracted by his wife's beauty, winsomeness, kindness, gentleness, or any other positive quality or virtue. But though such things bring great blessing and enjoyment, they are not the bond of marriage. If every appealing characteristic and every virtue of his wife disappears, a husband is still under just as great an obligation to love her. If anything... He is under greater obligation because her need of the healing and restorative power of his selfless love is greater. That is the kind of love Christ has for his church and is therefore the kind of love every Christian husband is to have for his wife. Men, are you willing to sacrifice for your wives? And I don't just mean your lives, I mean your preferences. What what do you do when what you want is in conflict with what your wife needs? When you want to play golf or watch a sporting event or go out with friends and she's worked a hard day, or, or what if she's worked a hard day and cleaned the kitchen and the kids have been giving her a run for their money and you just want to sit down and relax because after all, you had a long day at work. Does she have to ask you for help? Or do you see her? Do you attend to your needs? 
Are you willing to sacrifice of yourself or only when you think it might keep you out of trouble? Paul Tripp wrote a devotional on Christmas that was really, really good. In fact, I think maybe we gave it to growth group leaders. But the, one, of the, one of these Christmas, this Advent devotionals that really stood out to me was he was talking about the, the divine willingness of Jesus to say yes. Whereas our default mode is to say no. Do you want to do the dishes? Do you want to discipline the kids? Do you want to turn off the game to have a conversation? Do you want to tell yourself no to golf? Or whatever it is? What is your inclination? Think of Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm sure th this falls short because Jesus is omniscient and omnipotent. But imagine the conversation from eternity past. When the Father says to the Son, Son, I want to redeem a bride for you. And I want to do it by creating a people who will sin against us, who will make themselves haters of us. But I'm going to send you to be one of them. Okay? And they're going to hate you. And you're going to have to experience life as a fallen, sinful part of our creation, even though you're not going to sin. Okay? You're going to be tired and hungry and thirsty. You're going to be betrayed and hated. Okay? You're going to be abused. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be spit upon. You're going to be beaten until you're unrecognizable. And then you're going to be killed. Three days later, you're going to rise again victoriously. And when you do, you will inherit everything I have. It will all be yours. But those people you redeemed, they're now going to be your brothers and sisters. And so you get to share it with them. Okay. We're so quick to say no. And God is so quick to say yes. In fact, I would say God's default position is always yes, unless no is for your good. Men, is your default position yes to your wives, to your children? Jesus' default position was yes to everyone else and no to himself. This is the kind of love with which we must love our wives. Men, say yes. Say yes to what they need. Say yes to serving them. Say yes to caring for them. Say yes before you're asked. Say yes before you think you, you have to say yes to keep you out of trouble. Just say yes. Let your love for your wives be a willing, self-sacrificing love. The second virtue of Christ's love for the church and of a husband's love for his wife is purifying. It is to be a purifying love. We covered this last week, and so I won't elaborate this morning, but Christ's love is a love that purifies us from sin. Husbands, do, does, your, uh, does your love purify your wife? Who sets the tone for holiness in your family? Who has to be the brakes towards sinfulness? Knowing that someday she is going to stand before Christ in perfection, does your love today present her more so. 
you ask your wife to watch with you? Who initiates spiritual conversations? Who takes the lead and the initiative on going to church as a family and sitting together and worshiping together? If you have children, by the way, do the math on how many more Sundays you have to show your children what it means like to worship in the context of the community of the church. It's very, very few. Very, very few. Take the lead. Thirdly, the third virtue is that our love is to be caring for our wives. I should be looking at connecting these to scripture and not just talking to you about them. Forgive me for that. Let's go back and see these. Husbands, verse 25. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is that self-sacrificing love. He gave himself up for her. And we must give ourselves up for our wives. He did it, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing with the water of the word. This is purifying love. And it is then, thirdly, to be a caring love. Verse 27, he did this, he sacrificed himself to purify her, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cher- nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Your love should be a beautifying thing. I think the world presents to us, whether it be on TV or in movies or in books, as the height of a wife's beauty is when she is presented as a bride. And then it's all downhill from there. that's not the way it's supposed to be. Your love for her is supposed to grow. Your love for her is supposed to increase in such a way that she is more beautiful to you 50 years later, not less. That you find more delight in her, more joy in her. I think it's pretty easy for us to understand what, uh, what this picture is because there's probably no other time in the history of the world where self-care is talked about more than ever. We're supposed to to give ourselves first to self-care. We've replaced repentance with therapy. We've treated God as though he wants to be our therapist rather than the executioner of our sin, putting to death what Christ had to die for us for. Now, I'm not saying therapy is never helpful, but when therapy replaces repentance, when what we need is mere fixing rather than to put to death what is sinful in us, the the picture goes away. But we get this idea of self-care. Men, do you leave your wives alone to care for themselves? Or do you care for them? Jesus knew what it was like to care for people. He also knew what it was like to be cared for. It's one of the most incredible things I think we see in Jesus. He he knew how to do both, and a marriage must be both. A marriage must be give and take. Jesus knew how to have his feet washed, 
and he knew how to wash feet. Both happen. Sometimes, this is not a call to ever be served by your wives. There are times where she will want to serve you. But do you demand it? Do you expect it? Do you think that's just what she is there for? Or are you her willing servant? And do you serve her in such a way that cares for her? Look again at the language here. First, we're presented in verse 26, as we talked about last week, with the idea of washing, this tender picture of bathing. And then in verse 29, that that this love of a husband is to be a love that nourishes and cherishes. Does your husband, does your love for your wife nourish her and cherish her? Or do you primarily expect her to give service to you? And notice, by the way, that caring for your wife is caring for yourself. This seems contradictory, but trust me, it's not. Look at this again. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. This makes no sense that we would care for ourselves by caring for our wives. This is exactly what Scripture says. This is the divine, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Right? That's exactly what he's telling us. I can't explain to you as to why this is the reality, but let me just tell you that that God's right here. Because 22 years of marriage... One thing is very, very clear to me. The most unhappy times in my marriage are the times when I'm most concerned with my happiness, most concerned with what I get. But the times when I'm least concerned with what I get and the times I'm most concerned with her happiness are the best times in our marriage. Husbands, the best thing you can do to care for yourselves is to care for your wives. And let me just say as as a side note here, men, do your children the favor. Give your children the gift of letting them see regularly a man who loves his wife, who cherishes his wife, who delights in his wife. It is not only a gift to your wife and a gift to you, is a gift to your children. It is where we will see, it is where they will see, rather, the picture of the Father's love for us. If I could take a moment, you know, I've, I've said long, I've heard it said for years and years and years that whatever our picture of is our Father's is what we assume of God. And I, I thought for years that that was completely untrue of me. I just remember one day thinking, you know, my, my, my image of my father does not affect who I think God is. My father wasn't even around. He wasn't even present. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. That's exactly what I think of God. My father was, I don't ever remember my father living at home. And he died when I was seven. 
the big struggle of my spiritual walk is to, all, to, is to feel that God is near to me. I know that he loves me, but it feels like a distant, far-off, uninvolved care. But that's not the picture of who God is. He is present. He is with us, so much so that he took on flesh and became one of us. Man, however you treat your wives and your children will be the picture of what they believe of God our Father. It is to be a caring love. Fourthly, it is to be an enduring love. Look with me at verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. This union, which is a one flesh union, and the two shall become one flesh, is to be an unbreakable union. Then we are to hold fast to our wives. We are to never let them go. Marriage is to be an insoluble union this side of heaven. Malachi 2.6 is clear that God hates divorce. I'm not going to go at length into that passage there. But the, the context is pretty important. Uh, Matthew 19, 6 is clear that men cannot separate what God has brought together. Hosea, if you haven't read Hosea, read Hosea and the picture that God calls Hosea to be of pursuing his wife. This is a picture of how long we are to be in the marriage for. It is this side of heaven and unbreakable union. But this doesn't just speak to time. It's not, it's not just the statement that I need to be married to my wife from here until death do us part. But it is also a statement of fidelity. It is not only that I am supposed to be enduring in the marriage with my wife, but that I am to be faithful to my wife. Paul uses this same passage, this quote of Genesis 2.24, which is what we find in verse 31. Uh, it's a direct quote of, of Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul quotes this again uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, where he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, the two will become one flesh. This, this passage in Genesis 2.24 speaks to the sexual union of a husband and wife as, as the binding thing between the two. And that, that it is to be absolute faithfulness that our wives receive from us. Not just in terms of, I'm going to be married to you from here till eternity, but I'm going to be married and faithful to you from here to eternity. Because Christ is faithful to us, not just from here to eternity, but throughout eternity. Paul uses the same reference in Genesis 2.24 to speak to why somebody should not be joined to a prostitute. 
This one flesh union means that you are to endure in your marriage no matter what and to be faithful to your wife always. Faithful in the flesh. Faithful in your thoughts. Faithful in your heart. This isn't just to say I can't go out and, 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 and have uh, an inappropriate relationship with somebody else. This is not to say just that my wife is to have my body, but that she is to have my mind and my heart and my affection. And how we look at other people matters. What you look at on your phone or on TV or on your computer matters. Your wife is to dominate your heart, your mind, your affections, your eyes, your body. She is to be the only woman for you. She gets everything. You are to be faithful to her in everything. And this brings us to our final point of Christ's love today, that it is not only sacrificing, purifying, caring, and enduring, but it is gratifying. It is to be gratifying. Look with me again at verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is clearly understood both in Genesis and 1 Corinthians, and now here to refer to the sexual relationship of a husband and a wife. But then in verse 32, look at this interesting thing that Paul says. He says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What mystery, Paul? The mystery of the one flesh union between a husband and a wife is to be a picture of Christ and the church. How in the world does the intimate relationship of a husband and a wife relate to Christ and the church? Well, you're going to have to be here next week to find that out because that is precisely what we're going to talk about this week. However, one of the things we can clearly see this week is that that one flesh union of a man and a woman is something that God has built pleasure into. God is not asking us to do all of this and be miserable. He's not saying, men, love your wives, deny yourself, nourish and cherish them, and endure for 50 years because someday you'll die and it'll all be better. No. No. What he's saying is, men, sacrifice of yourself. Love your wives. Endure with your wives. Care for your wives. Seek their good. Seek their beauty. And find great pleasure and joy in it. Because the pleasure and joy that there is to be, and again what Peter calls the grace of life, the ultimate grace of this life is merely a picture, is merely a shadow of the joy and pleasure and delight that Christ has in his church and calls his church to have in him. And so next week, we will talk about how the intimate relationship of a husband and a wife is a picture of the delight of Christ and the church. So it will be somewhat adult-oriented in nature, but I promise you it will be rated PG at least, or at most. It's not something... I, I, I would gladly preach next Sunday's sermon with my eight-year-old sitting right here. Um, so I will say that. But it is to be a delightful union. 
is to be a, it's a profound mystery, but, but the joy of a husband and wife for each other pictures the church. But for this week, we'll suffice it to say that God has built pleasure into the marriage. I want to close with 1 Corinthians 7 that just helps make this point. Here it is. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 5. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In other words, husbands and wives, you belong to each other, enjoy one another, and give yourself to the other person for their pleasure. Pleasure has been built into the union. And we should not uh, hesitate to participate in that. Christ was self-sacrificing to purchase us with his death. Christ's love is purifying and leads us to greater and greater holiness and happiness. Christ's love is caring. It's a nurturing and cherishing kind of love. Christ's love is enduring. Once you become his, you always stay his. And Christ's love is intended to be a delightful and pleasurable union. Lord, may we first and foremost delight ourselves in you. May we find our joy in you. May we have the, the longing and needs of our heart met and may, may that free us up to love one another as you have called us to love, to delight in one another as you have called us to delight in one another. Lord, may the, uh, may the joy and the, the care and the sanctifying nature of our homes and our families and our marriages be a picture of the gospel. Lord, we, we see that it's built in to this union. And as we continue to see that next week, we see the importance of understanding this. We see why marriage is under attack and why Satan has a vested interest in destroying marriages. Because marriage is to be the picture of your affection for us. Lord, may we not, may we not cave on any of this. May, may we not sink low into minimal and, and earthly thoughts of marriage. But may we hold high the picture that marriage is of your love for us, your, your care for us, your sacrificial uh, death for us. May the church cling to the reality of what marriage is and what marriage pictures, that people might see the gospel in us. But most of all, I pray today that, that uh, the wives in this room and in this church would feel loved and nourished and cherished and cherished and that the men here would find great joy in caring for their wives. But I don't understand why it is that way other than that that's what you have created marriage for and that that is where we find our satisfaction. So I ask that you would help us, Lord, to just willingly surrender our own thoughts and ideas of what will make us happy 
and press hard into what you tell us will make us happy. That we would seek real and true and lasting satisfaction in you. Lord, show us how great your love is for us that we might be freed up to love others with the same love. May it be for your glory, for the good of your church, for the good of our families, for the spread of the gospel. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.